0: Chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. We've covered that. Today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 16. Now, the last time we covered the first three bowl or vile judgments, the plagues um, meted out on a sinful, rebellious, wicked, Christ rejecting world. And today we're going to finish up with the last four plagues. As we go through chapters 17 and 18, it gets a little difficult. The whole concept of Babylon. There's so much to Babylon. I've been really in prayer. Lord, help me to explain it so it makes sense. Because uh, you know we, we talk about Babylon today, and then Babylon's really explored more in a political sense, and um, a geographical sense, a spiritual sense. So there's going to be times that I may look at the Scripture, and I may study, and I may pray, and I still don't completely know how to wrap myself around it and explain it and there's going to be times listen I don't wing anything up here if I don't know I'm going to tell you I don't know or I believe or my thoughts are Uh, so I'm not going to be dogmatic on something that I'm not completely sure of and I hope you appreciate that I'm not just going to say something so you think oh I'm a great teacher Uh, there's just some stuff in here that's you know God reveals his mysteries but there are also some things that are still even the best Bible scholars have difficulty trying to make sense of it And I don't want to lead you in the wrong direction So we're going to start with verse 8, chapter 16, verse 8, where we left off. It says, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. The first bowl we saw was poured out and... uh, it, it, they got it, The people who had the mark of the beast also got this loathsome sore on them. Uh, the second bowl was poured out on the sea, and it became as blood. If you were here uh, last Sunday, the third bowl, the rivers and the streams and all became the same as the sea. Uh, and now we have the fourth bowl, and the fourth bowl is poured out on the sun. Looks like a little global warming going on here. Uh, but I'm going to do my best to explain the natural versus the supernatural, and I'll say that at the beginning. So in other words, in the natural, we know there's laws of physics, there's laws of planetary motion, there's laws of, there's all kinds of laws that God set up when he created the universe and kept them going, the laws of gravity. And we can talk about how things can change in the natural realm, but then we're also going to talk about how God kind of interrupts human history interrupts the laws Jesus did miracles and how there's a supernatural happening with some of these plagues and I'm gonna go kinda both of them and just basically said either way whether it's a natural occurrence or supernatural God is still sovereign he knew that these things were going to happen so first our Sun if you've ever studied the Sun I've studied the Sun for this this message is very interesting our Sun is what they call a yellow dwarf and um, not like the seven dwarfs, it's different, sun terminology, a star. And what can happen is a yellow dwarf over time will become a red giant, and then a red giant will acquiesce and give way to a stage called the white dwarf. Now what happens, if you understand this, is uh, it causes changes in light, heat, energy, etc. So understand that about the sun. The sun could be possibly going into a supernova condition, which is basically a stellar explosion. Which, where energy initially increases and then it, it decreases. The sun, again, it's very complex. We we can talk about solar flares, sunspots, convection cycles of the sun. In a lot of ways, the sun is more complex than the Earth. It's not just a big ball of gas that that burns out. So this this type of uh, situation will affect energy, heat, and so forth back to planet Earth. Um, the sun also does odd things. Um, Stars do odd things over their lifespan. In the 17th century in Europe they got hit with an incredible cold spell where we're saying we're talking about global warming right that the big buzzword but back then they were talking about an ice age so this is what happens the sun affects us it's right in the center of our solar system. In the supernatural realm the angel could have poured the angel poured a bowl onto the sun well let's take it literally. He, the angel has you know, this vial, this plague, God's wrath is in it, and he pours it on the sun. Some type of catalyst, maybe, to accelerate the sun's energy production. And what's quite amazing here is that the angel doesn't burn. He's not, he's not comprised of the same materials that we're comprised of. Fascinating in itself. But he could have interrupted the second law of thermodynamics. Thermodynamics. In physics, that means that everything goes from a state of order to disorder, positive law of entropy, in a closed system. So what's possible is that the angel interrupts this second law of thermodynamics to, to you know, get the sun to heat up, and it certainly would change living conditions here. Now, Matthew 24:22 it says that in those days, and I believe it's talking about this time period, uh, unless the days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. The sun is just incredibly hot. People are being scorched by the sun. Revelation 7, 14 through 16 says that the tribulation saints are pulled out. When they come to heaven, they won't be scorched and and, uh, be burned by that heat anymore. So it's possible that the days are shortened to keep the tribulation saints from being burned up. Now, the scorched earth, um, not scorched earth policy, but the earth being scorched is a precursor really or a type of or a Uh, a harbinger of eternal punishment. So the rebellious on the earth really get a taste of what hell, or what we understand in the end, the lake of fire is going to be like. They're getting a little taste of it right now. So in verse 9, they're getting a taste of eternal punishment. God is, 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 is pouring out judgment on them, and what do they do? They all say in unison, God, please forgive us, we've sinned. Well, whatever translation you have you're not going to see that not quite instead they blaspheme they curse the one who has power to change their circumstances hopefully we as believers have learned to to acquiesce to god's sovereignty these people are they're like dumb dogs like the bible says they have they're they're so dumb they don't understand that this is the one Uh, and they're blaspheming him they're cursing him because of something that they rightly deserved And you know, as believers, over time, we become believers. And we realize as we start to read the Bible and we're filled with the Holy Spirit that God is sovereign, that God has control over all of our circumstances. And you know what? We shouldn't blame God for anything that happens to us. And I'm going to go into that a little bit later. Hopefully, we learn not to be headstrong and just to know our place in the universe and to be humble and submissive to God and try to work with him and not against him. Verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, or the Antichrist, the world dictator, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. So the fifth bowl, darkness, kind of reminds me of the plagues of Egypt. If you remember Exodus 10, the ninth plague was the plague of darkness. Now, again, in the natural, if you we could surmise or speculate that the sun is in the stage where it's starting to burn out, so it's, there's darkness. Eh, maybe a little weak. Although many believe that this is limited to the Antichrist kingdom, he had a dominion over the whole world. And I'm going to use the word proleptically. Proleptically means we're speaking of something as if it happened in the past, but it's yet our future. So that was, there's a lot of prolepsis going on here. A lot of these events, we speak of them as they happen. We look at them as the past, but really, from 2009, they're yet a future occurrence and fulfillment. In Revelation 8, the sun is dimmed. Okay. Now in Revelation 16, in the fourth bowl, the sun is superheated. And then here, we see that it's dark again. (laughs) Right? It's kind of like the clapper. Like God's up there going, the sun is dim. The sun is hot. The sun is dim again. It's like, the, it's like a celestial clapper or something going on there. But it's so cool because, again, this is the God that I want to serve. I don't want to serve a God that when I get to heaven, he goes, oh, I don't know how to run this place. Hey, Joe, can you help me out? No, I did enough on the earth. That's your job. But we serve a God who's sovereign. And this is the beauty when we go into the scripture. And it's, it's funny, but it's true. Uh, you know, God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. I like that about my leader. The worst thing about serving any leader is if they have no idea what's going on. We don't serve that type of leader. Now, again, we can play with the speculations. The darkness could have been caused by the power grids frying from the heat or the overload or the, um, you know, the electromagnetic radiation coming off the sun. It's too much, and all the power grids go out. And I could say that, or we can say that there's, um, you know, we talk about sunspots, and, and if you really study sunspots, it has an effect. On the electromagnetic radiation that's sent back to the earth and our airwaves and electricity and all that other kind of stuff. So it's kind of neat to play with. We can speculate that the shorter days equals a, an earth's faster rotation uh, to keep people from completely frying. But really, if we look at all those things, we would be remiss if we didn't make a spiritual application. Because this is a purposeful blackout. This is a purposeful darkness where God is revealing a spiritual truth using darkness. You see, In Egypt, if you look at the plague of darkness, very interesting, and I went back and I read it, the Egyptian plague where the Egyptians were in darkness for three days, they said it was such a darkness that they could feel it. That's kind of weird, isn't it? It was an oppressive darkness. It was so thick that you could cut it with a knife, so to speak. It was so dark, it said that the Egyptians didn't rise for three days. They didn't even want to get out of bed. That's how bad it was. It was oppressive. And and I, I found that fascinating when I read it. You see, Satan, we know Satan is the fallen angel, but his original given name was Lucifer. And Lucifer means light bearer. It's a mirror to the Antichrist kingdom. It's a mirror to Satan to show him how far he has fallen since being the great light bearer that God originally created. If you look at the scripture, the Old Testament, it says that when, when Lucifer was created, he had these, these instruments that were created with him to glorify God. As a, um, a lot of people believe he was the original worship leader, but he fell from grace. And this is a mirror to his kingdom to say, this is what you are, you're darkness, you're not a light bearer. And the Bible says that even now, Satan tries to masquerade himself as an angel of light and his, his followers ministers of righteousness so we're learning a spiritual truth here okay so this is what we have so far in the 16th chapter it's hot it's dark they're thirsty they're in pain they're gnawing their tongues I don't understand the whole gnawing the tongues thing maybe it was a distraction technique when people are in severe pain they do different things to kind of change the channel to get their mind off of the pain and maybe even bring another pain into it so this is how bad things are so in verse 11 we see that they finally repented again right No, you're not going to find that. Reminds me of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, okay, okay, I give, uncle, you got me, God. And then as soon as the trial was over, he started persecuting the children of Israel again. And then God put another plague, and oh, okay, you know, all right, I give, I give, you can go. And even at the end, he let the children of Israel go, and what did he do? He followed them with the armies to try to destroy them. You know, it's a shame. You ever meet someone who's so steeped in sin and so stubborn and blinded by sin that they don't see it? And we're, really, what they're doing is they're imitating Lucifer's fallen state. It's more tragic and heartbreaking when it's a brother or a sister in Christ. Now, in these judgments, we can see, and hopefully we see, that the trials, even the shame, some humiliation, even though it's self deprecating, they have awakening properties, or they should. 1 Corinthians 5, even the Apostle Paul speaks of church discipline. And he says an interesting thing that when we get to that scripture, we'll cover it. He says, to destroy the flesh in order to save the soul. It's fascinating. But the folks on earth resort to blaming God. Even though God warned them through his angels, the angels warned the earth's inhabitants, give glory to God. And some did. Some repented and gave glory. The angel warned them, don't take the mark of the beast. Right? But they took the mark of the beast. And then what did they do? They blamed God. They should have blamed themselves. You see, we can see that today. It's so cool because in our society, we see a lot of mirrors of of the folks that are left on earth, and maybe even some in our generation in the book of Revelation. Blame shifting. People have problems. They have problems with their marriages. They have problems with their finances. They have problems with relational issues. They have problems with everything. And what do they do? Not not me. (laughs) It's everyone else's fault around me, but not me. You know what I'm saying? I blame my upbringing. I blame my parents. I blame the conditions I was brought up in. I blame the school system. I blame my boss. I'm married, I have kids, and I'm miserable. But you know what? I wouldn't be miserable if my wife and my kids didn't make me miserable. You see? It's blame shifting. And talk shows are so popular. They get such high ratings because people like to watch this stuff. And all they do is sit around and blame others. You know who I was impressed with? And this just came to me. Was it Michael Phelps, the, the Olympic swimmer? Let me finish. They caught him smoking pot, right? Doing the bong, smoking weed. <laughs> Kellogg's cans him. Uh, they, they, some he loses his contracts. His life's now all of a sudden from, he's way up here and pff, he's down here. You know what he said? I'm reading it, I almost fell off my chair. He said, I don't think the punishment is too harsh. I deserve it. Now he may change his mind later on and say something else when he gets a PR guy and a lawyer. But for the moment, in his heart, he said, I deserve it. I'm supposed to be a role model to kids. I got caught smoking, doing bong hits, and uh, they pulled my, my, uh, the plug on me. I deserve it. The punishment fits the crime. That's impressive because in our society, you don't see that. Everybody's blame shifting. casting it off on somebody else. God help us. If we're ever in that position where we harden our hearts like that, God help us, and God help me, to have those around us that love us enough to tell us when we're going off the deep end, hey Joe, that's a little weird, You know we need to talk. I've got members from my family in this church. I've got members members that I work with in this church. I need to set an example and they have access to call me on the carpet because they're seeing something that I'm doing that I shouldn't do. And God help us to listen. You see, that's the other part of the equation. That's good that you have people in your life that can tell you when you're a little stinky, but are you listening? are you open to that correction that's important they go together verse 12 then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared and i saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them together to battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Now, these are Jesus' words. If you don't have a study Bible, uh, verse 15 isn't read because they're the words of, of our Lord. He says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. So this This bowl dries up the Euphrates River and facilitates the kings of the east to come westward to be part of the last great battle. Now, we could just kind of skip over that, but let's talk about the Euphrates for a few minutes because it's worth delving into. The Euphrates River, 1,700 miles long. That's a long river. It travels mainly through Syria and Iraq, modern day. It's a border between the Far East and the Middle East. Separates what we would know as the Orient from the Occident. It's kind of like a dividing line. A greater significance it's one of the four great rivers of the Garden of Eden if you remember Genesis there was the Tigris the Euphrates there was the the Pishon and the Gihon now the Pishon and the Gihon well the Bible must be wrong we don't see them anymore until you go up in a plane or a satellite, you take a picture of the earth, and you find that there's two riverbeds that come off the Tigris and Euphrates, that were the Gihon and the Pishon. So it's so cool how man's technology is now confirming what God said. I mean, we as believers know that he is telling the truth, and there has to be an explanation to it, but man's technology today is helping us to reveal archaeology. These people aren't Christians. They dig stuff up. They go, I guess David's kingdom did exist. For many years, people saying, oh, David, it it was a tale of a king no he really existed Pontius Pilate, the caesarean inscription oh yeah i guess there was a Pontius Pilate. all the naysayers the dead sea scrolls uh, i can go on forever but our technology today is confirming what we know this is why i have notes because i'm out here again we bring myself back into the euphrates the euphrates babylon <laughs> is also located on the euphrates and was the border between the roman empire and the feared parthians The Romans couldn't conquer the Parthians, and that was a natural border. These people were, they could never get past the Euphrates River to take more of that that land. Um, Big symbolic border issue with the Euphrates. It was supposed to be Israel's natural border, but the children of Israel became weary of warfare. If you look at Deuteronomy and Genesis and a lot of these scriptures where God lays out to Abraham and Moses and and, um, the children of Israel what their borders were supposed to be, their border was supposed to be all the way to the Euphrates. So now let's talk about who owns what land and what's supposed to be today. Israel's border was supposed to be a lot bigger. And going back to Revelation 9, the demonic or the bad angels that were bound at the Euphrates were released to kill a third of mankind. So there's a lot of significance here. And in Daniel chapter 11, we see the kings of the east again. Okay, we just covered it here. Who are the kings of east? Who are they? If you look at Daniel chapter 11, Daniel speaks of the kings of the east, the north, the south, and the west. East, the north, yes, got it right. And what he shows is a battle that happened roughly 2,000 years ago. But if you understand Hebrew, the the Old Testament and the Hebrew prophets, prophecies have a pattern. God has a pattern to what he does, a perfect pattern. So the kings of the east, north, south, and west are going to resurge again in our future. And what it is is basically an alliance of kingdoms in today what's known as regionalization. Regionalization is where we say we take maybe even little townships and we bring them together to form one major township or countries. You take countries that were scattered from, from Babel, right, bring them back together and cause a region. So the kings of the east could be, uh, right now, China and North Korea. Apparently China has some good leverage. They're about the only ones that can talk to North Korea and help them to not really go off the deep end maybe more of those countries on the east if they feel isolated and it's a counterbalance to the west. Um, You can look at the kings of the north. Now we already see this with Putin. He's not the president anymore of Russia but he certainly is pulling the strings. You saw what he did with Georgia when he invaded Georgia and not too long ago, again I don't know if you read your history, but uh, he shut off the gas supply to the Ukraine. He keeps messing with those former Soviet bloc countries. He wants them back. So the Bible is clear, Gog and Magog, the battle, that Russia will be a powerful nation again and probably she'll have other smaller countries with her and be regionalized as the king of the north. Now check this out, and this isn't a stretch. The kings of the south. Now this only happened a few years ago. This happened actually in 2007 in July. If you were paying attention, it was the African Union Summit. Africa is a continent, okay? Okay and the countries in africa again as a, as a balance to maybe the west are getting together and saying how could we unite africa to regionalize the south 2007 very you know it's nipping at our heels so we see that the bible all these things are starting to come to pass we've spoke about the kings of the west we've spoken about the uh the the antichrist dominated european union the ten nation federation we've talked about that that's a no-brainer the, the Euro, the, um, the Maastricht Treaty, all these things have already happened and it's, it's, it's actually old news at this time. But what's fascinating is that only in our time that this could happen. And what we're seeing is in the beginning, when I go into Babylon, and I'll, I'll cover it more next Sunday uh, because there's a lot to it, Babylon was a picture of man getting together and regionalizing, uniting, and basically taking over the world. They, we don't need God, a counterbalance to God. God confused their language, scattered them, right? Right? And then there was the, um, um, what do you call that? Um, Nationalism. Countries would would gather and have their own militaries. Now we're going back to regionalization where the world is coming together again, Psalm 2, to fight against God. So you see it all starting to come together now. There's actually a program. I wanna say AT&T came out with it. And it was, if you are, in English, calling somebody in Japan and they speak Japanese, uh, it goes through this program and and they, 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 What happens is they understand it in Japanese and you understand it in English so you could communicate. And I think the the, uh, advertisement said undoing Babel. Interesting, isn't it? So it's so cool. I'm really excited about this stuff. Verse 13 and 14, the demonic spirits that have the appearance of frogs or amphibians coming out of the mouths of these three uh, uh, creepy people here. But Exodus 8, uh, Egypt, the second plague was the plague of the frogs. And we know that frogs were unclean according to Jewish law. So the demons go forth and gather these wicked leaders into battle, and the mouth is a vehicle. When we go into James after Revelation, we'll see that James says the mouth, the tongue, is a a source of all kinds of evil and unruliness. One little tongue, and the pen really is mightier than the sword. People can do more damage to you through talking about you or assassinating your character or writing about you in an editorial with their mouth than they can with the sword, and sometimes it's a much slower death. So you see that the the demons come out of their mouths, and I believe that it's significant that the mouth is being used. They're using signs and wonders to mesmerize and deceive the earth's leaders that it's a good idea to fight with God. We spoke before of the importance of testing the spirits because in the future, there'll be a lot of miracles. And um, to, to go back and forth to miracles is going to cause instability and confusion because a lot of these miracles and a lot of these signs will be demonic in origin. And then we see, too, that uh, all the ideas of rebellion of God against God are demonic. Now, they're going to gather together to battle at, uh, Armageddon to fight against God. Can you believe that? The height of arrogance, anarchy, rebellion, arrogance. And again, Psalm 2, uh, the people of the earth say to the Lord, let's cast his cords from us. There's, a, there's a, a, like a cord, like an invisible cord between us and God. You know, we... You know, we, we have this closeness to him. And even for unbelievers, God tries to reach out to them. And the earth is going to say, Psalm 2 is going to come to reality let us cast God's cords away. We don't want anything to do with this God. It's almost as if they're saying to him, the attitude is, you know, God, we know you made everything. You made the solar system, you made the universe, the sun, earth. That's really nice. Exploration, space stuff, it's really fun. Now, God, beat it. We're done with you. Scat. Go away. We want to rule ourselves. We want nothing to do with you. Thank you for the gift of life, but be gone. We're going to solve our own problems. And as a matter of fact, there's a parable that Jesus speaks about where there's a king and his subjects, and the subjects say, we don't want this king to rule over us. It's the same picture. This is the attitude that people of the earth are going to have. Now, the funny thing is, notice that they're not atheists. Um, They certainly know where these plagues are coming from, these people, and they're cursing God for it. Now, verse 15 is interesting because there's a message of hope sandwiched in the middle of this awful turmoil, and it's a timeless message. We haven't seen the words of Jesus. Again, if you have a study Bible, um, it's not just black and white. The words of Jesus are in red. But we haven't seen these red words, if you've had that, that type of Bible, and Uh, since revelation three where jesus speaks to the churches so here's jesus his his words his wisdom is smack dab and sandwiched in the middle of chapter 16 and he makes three points he says number one he's coming as a thief now if you read first thessalonians 5 and luke 12 we know that the sons of light will not be caught off guard the sons of light are we watching for the lord are we praying? Do we have a relationship with Jesus as our Lord and Savior? If that's the case, then even if Jesus does come and rapture us unexpectedly, we're not going to be caught off guard. It's the sons of darkness. It's the make-believers that will be caught off guard. The second thing here is, is another blessed. He said, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. Now, this is the third blessed in Revelation Number one, uh, early on, he said, blessed is he who reads the words of, of this prophecy and lives them, because the end is coming soon. The second blessed, Jesus said, is those who overcome in times of trial. And here's the third blessed, be ready and be watchful, and literally guard your robes. It's a picture of spiritual purity and being vigilant to spiritual things. And three, the last thing he says here in this one verse is that the ones that don't will be caught naked and ashamed. Now let's go back to shame because we've talked about this before. In the old days, in the old wars, uh, especially the Assyrians, they would come in and they were really brutal. If they conquered you, they'd amputate maybe a hand or an arm. They would show that we mean business and they'd strip everybody naked and uh, put hooks through their noses, tie them all together. I mean, it was no Geneva Convention and they tormented the people. But nakedness was a picture of shame. Now, in our society, it's really hard to understand that. Why? Because there's nakedness everywhere. You look at it in a magazine, you watch it on television, you see it on your computer, you see it on billboards, you see it when you go into the 7-Eleven. Everywhere you go, somebody's naked. They're all taking their clothes off. So it's really hard for us to understand the whole nakedness concept. But in the Bible, you weren't naked unless you were a little kid running around, or as you get older, you went in with your spouse or a prostitute. That was the only time you were naked. So here, when the Bible speaks about nakedness, it's really a picture of, of shame shame. So the question is, we are either, or the point is, we're either clothed or robed with the righteousness of Christ or we're spiritual naked. And spiritual nakedness is that, you know, we can put clothes on of my, this is my degree, I have my four-year degree. We could put on our pants of everybody respects me in the community. We could put on our belt of, um, you know, I'm I'm at a certain age where I I, I should get these privileges and we can clothe ourselves with wealth the second car the 401k the pension but in the end Paul says that some will just barely make it to heaven and escape the flames of the fire because they'll burn up all their works so the question is are we clothed with the righteousness of Christ because if I put on the robe of Christ's righteousness I don't need anything else I don't need anything else and when I get to heaven I'm not going to be naked I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be ashamed because I've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So are we spiritually apathetic or are we clothed with his goodness? Now, I believe too, and I, and I may be wrong. Some would disagree that even into the bitter end in the tribulation that God puts out a call to repentance. Uh, Ezekiel 18:32. he says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. Repent and live. Even the parable that Jesus spoke about of the day laborers. Um, the laborers come at different times of the day to work for this guy in his field and even up to the last hour he pays them the same wage as the guys who started in the morning and they complained against the the the, the master of the field and, and he said it's my money can I do with it what I want and that was a picture of even at the bitter end even at the end of your life if you're truly repentant no matter where you are in life God receives you he'll forgive you of your sins he's already died for your sins and you can come into the kingdom so that's important to know and in verse 16, we come to Armageddon. It's believed uh, historically that over 200 battles have been fought in Armageddon, and we talked about that last time. In the Old Testament, many battles were fought there. The Egyptians fought at Armageddon. Uh, the Crusaders actually fought at Armageddon. Napoleon fought there, and yet there'll be future battle, the last battle. Armageddon, we know, is Mount Megiddo, which means, Megiddo literally means the place of the troops or the place of slaughter. So that's telling in itself. A little bit about Megiddo, I saw photos of it. You'd see these wide-angle lenses, and I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a plane as far as the eye can see. Megiddo is 14 by 20 miles, 14 miles long by 20 miles long, uh, and it's roughly four-fifths the size of Middlesex County. All open level field for troops to, you can fit anybody on there to fight with each other. Napoleon called it the most natural battlefield of the whole earth, and it will be the last battlefield. Verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. It is done. Jesus said on the cross, It is finished. Here there's a voice that says, It is done. See, Jesus redeemed spiritually, he came for the souls of men. The Jewish leaders and the Jewish people were like, Well, you know, you're the Messiah, conquer Rome, free us. Jesus came the first time to put a down payment on our redemption. He came to free our souls from sin and death and, and open up the, the possibility for us to have eternal life and to go to heaven when we die. Here it is finished. The judgment upon earth and the fact that the Lord's going to come down and take control of the earth again and make it new again is that uh, we see the second part of that, that redemptive quality there. After the seventh bowl, all 21 judgments are complete. The seven seals, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls 18 last few verses and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth now the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath then every island fled away and the mountains were not found so the seventh bowl unleashes the greatest earthquake ever. If you study earthquakes, 1960 was the Great Chilean Earthquake, which measured a 9.5. Uh, second to that, a close second, was the 2004 Southeastern Earthquake in the Indian Ocean that caused a tsunami, and all those people had died, registering at a 9.3. Most large quakes today are in the 7 range. This one's going to be so big, it's going to make all those look uh, pale in comparison. As a matter of fact, if you study geology and you look at the Earth... Um, it looks like it's cracked all over the earth. All the tectonic plates are cracked, and there's all these fault lines in the ocean, on the land. Uh, The earth is starting to decay. Okay? Now, here it appears that all or the major fault lines will be opened up, and they will affect the mountains and the islands globally. Precision-guided tectonic activity that destroys all the cities of the nations, verse 19. So, I'm understanding this, that New York, London, Tokyo, Paris... All the great cities of the nations are going to fall from this earthquake. And we'll get more into uh, Babylon in chapters 17 and 18. The great city was divided into three. Probably this refers to Jerusalem. If you look at Zechariah 14 in the Old Testament, the Bible speaks about a yet future fulfillment because it hasn't happened yet, where the Lord will come down. He'll stand on the Mount of Olives. And when he stands on it, the Mount of Olives will split in two, causing a valley, will redirect the water supply. It is possible that that kind of lines up with what's going on here. And uh, probably another reason why it's Jerusalem is because at this time the Antichrist has his headquarters there. And possibly that this last bowl ushers in the return of Christ. And maybe all these things are lining up at the same time. And verse 21. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, every hailstone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. A talent is about 100 pounds. Um, it was a, a measure of weight. Uh, it could have been anywhere from 75 to 130 pounds. So, hailstones, 100 pounds fallen from heaven. Now, we could talk about how the possibility of how it occurs naturally, it probably doesn't. Um, but let's just say this, that in Leviticus 24:16, all the way back in the Old Testament, that the punishment for blasphemy was stoning. The religious leaders, when they, probably definitely more than once, when Jesus would equate himself with God, they would pick up stones to stone him. Because in their law, rightly so, if you were guilty of blasphemy, you would be stoned to death. Now, because they didn't see Jesus as who he truly was, as the Messiah, they assumed because he was equating himself with God, that he was blaspheming, so they tried to stone him. So it's kind of neat neat how this kind of lines up with these 100-pound hailstones coming down from the atmosphere. And let's leave it, um, we'll close it pretty much with verse 15 again, because I think that's really the crux of this whole... Anytime you see the words of Jesus, it's something to definitely pay attention to. Jesus says this in verse 15, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. That's a timeless message. And I think that's the crux of everything that we do. We speak about Revelation as a book of judgments. But understanding that the title itself, Revelation, means an unveiling. So this whole book, yeah, we see a lot of judgments and we get distracted by the judgments. But the bottom line is this book is about the revealing or the unveiling of Jesus Christ and who he really is. When we get through the the rest of this book, hopefully we'll have a better grasp and concept of who our Lord and Savior really is. But Jesus says this, Blessed, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And the bottom line is, folks, we can fit into two categories. We can be watchful. And Jesus can come unexpectedly, but you know, it's almost like if you're babysitting your brother and sister and your parents come home, you're either doing bad stuff and tearing the house apart because they came home unexpectedly or you're behaving yourself. <laughs> and it's the same thing with the Christian life. We could either be doing and being about our father's business or when he comes we can be ashamed. We can be spiritually naked, we could be caught off guard, we could be flustered and flabbergasted and and you know, and that's basically the bottom line here. So spiritually the question is, are we expecting our master like the expectant servant that Jesus speaks about? Some of the servants were getting drunk and beating their fellow servants and others were doing what the master expected and when he came home, there was no problem. And that's a question that only you and I can answer individually. Let's pray.